Watch it, boys bracing. Here we go, and go hot. And go hot, hot. Very good. The Paddler's Pod with Sam and Mecca. It's been a minute, but we are back. The Paddler's Pod. Episode 4, we're back for more. I'm Sam Jordan and I'm joined by Mackenzie Hynard. Macca, how are you feeling? Yeah, good, Sam. I'm glad you left off some of those other derogatory names you called me before. But I actually just realised <laughs> that as soon as I said it. I was fingers crossed, hoping, hoping, don't say it, don't say it. But everyone knows you, the Wollongong Womanizer, big wave charger anyway. But mate, there is plenty for us to get through. There's so much going on at the moment. Isn't there? For a time that we have... Very limited racing and, and unfortunately some big news around the racing circuit. There has been so much in the paddling world. All of that, plus we have a very special guest on the podcast today. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's someone who has been very crucial in the Paddlers pod so far and also someone who's very important to us. Maka, you and I both personally, yeah. Oscar Chalupski, the 12-time Molokai champion, He's on the podcast, and uh, we're looking forward to speaking with him. There's so much to speak about. Yeah, he's certainly right. I, I can't wait to have a chat to the big O, and I think we just jumped straight into it. The Paddlers Pod Power Plays this week brought to you by Stella Kayaks Australia, and it is jam-packed. The Paddlers Pod Power Plays. Number five. Starting... With none other than the return of the king, Maka, you are back on top of a podium, winning a race on the Sunshine Coast Felt the other week. Back, Mate, talk I'm not going to lie. I was a bit nervous. I was a bit nervous. It, it had been yeah. a while, and it didn't look like there was going to be much wind. Um, it was the first time I sort of gone in, and I'd actually done what I thought was a bit of work and some consistent training. And I mean, I'd like to think it paid off, but you know, it was it was. It was tight racing, um, you know, some great, great quality field there. Um, Jackson Collins, Tom Green, Val, um, French mate. Who else have we got? Uh, the J-Mo Porter. Yeah, the Plenty list of goes them. on. Maka, tell us about the event. Where was it and how long was uh, it? What were the yeah, conditions it's, like? it's a bit of a weird one. We started at 9 a.m. in the morning um, from Moffat Beach at Caloundra uh, with what we hoped would be a Sudley that was going to puff through. Uh, which it did in the end, which is all really nice. And, and coming around, uh, we paddled from Moffat down to Point Cartwright on the Sunshine Coast here in um, southeast Queensland. And then we're turning around there and, and into Mooloolabar um, Spit. So it was about, I think it ended up being about 16 kilometres, but there was there was a few uh, navigational, well, you wouldn't say errors, but there was a few navigational differences in some people's races which made it a little difficult i thought about actually making the joke that you came fourth instead of first because there was a miscommunication in terms of going around some correct boys and the organizers are as of yet haven't quite corrected it on the time card but macro doesn't matter I'm gonna you're, take it. you're the champion of the race anyway and didn't you look macro the one thing the one gripe that i had with it though was that you didn't actually in the video of you powering along you didn't actually put the hashtag the paddler's plug you know, you could have probably steered that into you being the uh, the featured video <laughs> this episode. But, mate, how did it feel to be back racing? Because we haven't really had racing back in Australia yet. We haven't seen too much racing in the world, although that is starting to change um, now. Two what words, like? awesome, and I also felt a little guilty. I won't lie. Like, I, mm. I'm here 
in Queensland, coronavirus not really a thing, getting to race. Um, yeah, there was a few restrictions about how many people can congregate in areas and all the rest of it. But apart from that, it was just like racing back in the old days. <laughs> back in the old days you know six months ago the old six days. months ago what it used I to remember, be like i remember the yeah. old days oh, Jeez, we're I getting old when we say that aren't we look yeah but i also felt guilty because no one else around the world is, is really able to do it there's a few pockets in um in europe that are, i don't know gordon harbrecht's getting able to do it but yeah sort of tough mm. Well, Mac, that was a win dedicated to uh, to everyone who isn't able to race, no doubt. Our champion, our champion is back on top of his throne and we're, uh, we're looking forward to seeing uh, more <laughs> results like that from you, Mac, if you get given the chance, which we'll speak a little bit about a bit later on. Number four. I don't know if um, COVID's made everyone go a little bit nuts, Sam, but there is two nuts dudes out there that I've come across <laughs> recently. This is mental. Cyril Daramax, he's, he's a French-born, he lives in California now, and next year, in June 2021, he is going to paddle from California to Hawaii. <laughs> now, he's done... I know, yep. I paddled 20 kilometres the other day, and I actually got out of the boat yeah, after and you haven't I got out of the boat after it and had to have a real good stretch. I'm not sure how California to Hawaii would go. Well, he's done it before. He did it in a in a team of four in a, in a rowboat. Um, him and three of his good mates, and they're actually in the Guinness Book of Records. Uh, they did it in 40 days. So this time he goes. He's hoping to go solo across the uh, the, the huge crossing yeah. across the channel. He's going to try and do it in in 70 days, unassisted. Mental. That is so mental. And he's not alone. He's not alone in taking on a challenge like this, is he? No, no. Well, before I go on, he. You know, I've seen him, I've met him a few times. I met him at the Gorge. He's the founder of um, On the Water 360, which sort of makes sense now, saying the dude never leaves. But <laughs> I never really got the vibe that he was that much of a nutter. But here he is. He's going to, I mean, good luck to him. But uh, that's that's something he can do. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm right in saying battles. that surf ski that'll be paddling is like a super large surf ski. You know, you can sleep in it. It's weighted underneath, so you can't, you know, capsize. Yeah. I guess for the most part, obviously you need a paddle, but are you being just kind of dictated to by the conditions? I think so. I mean, I don't, I haven't really read into too much about how, how it's all going to happen, but I figure it's not going to be the fastest journey to get across. I mean, it can't be. Oh, well, if, if there's some kind of cyclone that whips up in the middle of the Pacific, I assume it would be. Put the sail up, <laughs> get the sail out. Oh man! So yeah, he's he's the yeah, same. It's in, it's as um, there's there's another guy, Richard Kohler. He's from um, Cape Town, South Africa, and he he actually might be even more nuts. <laughs> so <laughs> Cyril's, I'm pretty sure Cyril's is about two. Oh, I think it's like two thousand five hundred kilometers. Now Richard Kohler, a fifty year old guy, and he's going to paddle from Cape Town to Brazil, which is six thousand seven hundred kilometers. Six. December this year thousand kilometers oh my god so i knew i knew it was from south africa to brazil but i didn't realize that's how far it was to those two locations yeah i had to do a retake but he's he's done he's there was a video um i think i came to it on, on surf ski info and there's quite a good promo clip for it yeah we'll link that up on our socials and on our website as well for anyone mm. who who hasn't seen it it's um and same with same with cyril's website there and everyone sure. can have a, have a look at it for but sure. yeah so he's also done that crossing before he reckons he's done it eight times but sailing 
And he he mentioned it, calling it the milk the milk run, like it's some easy feat. And I was like, eh. six thousand kilometers. How long does that take? Or how long how long is he hoping it will take? Two to three months. Now, if my maths is correct, that's like sixty to ninety days. Now, I'm not sure how he reckons he's going to be able to do that in the same time as the other guy's going to... How Who's good at maths? Is anyone good at maths? Are you good at maths? I'm studying to be a maths teacher, so I don't know. 60 days. Maybe it's not my fault. 60 days. So 60, That's 100 k's a day. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it is. 100 <laughs> oh, kilometers a day. Wow, Simple that math. is... Um, man, that's, in, that's incredible. Yeah. Do you think, Macro, is this because people have been so cooped up and, and they haven't been able to battle during... COVID-19 lockdown that people are just thinking, oh, well, we may as well make up for lost time. Well, these, I mean, this this stuff takes planning. So I reckon they've got this in the pipeline mm. before this started, which, which makes them even more nuts, really. It is an absolutely incredible challenge that they're taking on. Look, we're having a laugh about it and joking about it, but it is literally mind-boggling. We can't comprehend it. It is going to be the most incredible adventure. And we hope for both of their sakes that, you know, it's a safe adventure because... It really is dangerous as well. It is a... Uh, yeah, it's it's no easy feat. Some people, Macca, are just wired differently, aren't they? Wanting to take <laughs> on the that biggest way. challenge they possibly can and push themselves to their limit. And no doubt, both of those treks will uh, will be doing that. Wow, that is that is astounding. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to tune in or we'll, we'll keep updated as we go. See how they're, they're tracking along. Definitely keep them updated. And, you know, ideally we'll get them on the podcast at one point <laughs> as well because I think someone needs to explain why, why this is an idea that is, uh, it is going yep. ahead. But we are certainly impressed and excited nonetheless. Number three. Now, Mackie, you know this is impressive if it's turning your head as the big wave <laughs> charger. Luke Horder in Sydney, at Sydney's South Head, the entrance to the harbour, catching some of the biggest waves I've seen caught on an ocean ski during a recent East Coast low weather system that whipped up huge surf all along the East Coast. Surfing fans, you may have seen uh, a clip of a man named Chris Lauer at a spot called Dead Man's just around from Manly, which is being hailed as one of the greatest waves ever ridden in Sydney. Well, at around the same time, just a few kilometres away, Luke Horder was charging into some mental waves. We've all seen the pictures. Macca, what do you reckon of that? <laughs> it's huge, hey. Him and his mate, Matt Jenkins, I swear, that is huge. I, I would go, I would even go further than what you said, and that's the biggest wave I've ever seen on a surf ski, period. You know what? It's funny, Macca, you know, we both surf ourselves. Mate, I, I actually surfed up the, up the coast a little bit that day, paddled out, copped the wave on the head, snapped my leg rope and went in. I didn't even... Th- I thought, hang on, I thought you said you surfed in Sydney Harbour that day. No, that was the day before, but that's actually a sign of how big the swell was. Mac, I didn't even think about ocean ski paddling or even on a surf ski because, you know, we could both come from... Because it's not a, a thought. No, it's not a thought. It's, it's not, not rational. It's not something you do. You know, we both come from a surf life-saving background and, you know, we've kind of thrown ourselves into waves on the life-saving ski before, but we've never imagined actually doing it on an ocean ski. It is incredible, if not mind-blowing from Luke. He's been kind enough to actually let us in, let us into that crazy head of his and actually let us know how it went down. Here's what he had to say about it. Well, we had been watching this forecast for a few days and I knew a big swell was coming. So I rang my mate Maddie and said, look, we've got to get out there. It's going to be huge. And um, when you get a really big swell like that, you know that 
the beaches won't be able to handle that kind of swell. So, um, you know, out at the South Head, you know, Sydney Head's there on the South Head. It's a place that can handle a, a monster swell like that. So we paddled out and we got around the corner and looked at these absolute monsters and thought, Jesus, oh my God, what are we doing? But we're already out there. So obviously you just keep going and we paddle out there and uh, you can see on a couple of the photos that I've uh, posted on social media where I where I get smashed by a wave, um, I've taken off and um, taken down the and it just got really steep at the top of the wave and the the front of the ski's gone under, and I've gone straight over the falls and got absolutely smashed, held underwater and managed to hold onto the paddle and I've come up for air and the surf ski's landed right next to me which I couldn't believe. And I've jumped back on the surf ski and got about 10 strokes in before the next wave just broke right on me, like an eight-story high wave just broke right on me. And it was like getting hit by a truck. And I got thrown out of the surf ski. I nearly broke my ankle in doing it. And the surf ski got, you know, washed about 200 metres away. Got back on the surf ski and paddled back out and after that got about 10 unbelievable waves after that so from that point on i knew exactly where to take off how to position myself you've got a large swell i think there was 11.5 meter swells recorded when we're out there and they're breaking on a five meter wide reef so and you're trying to drop down that wave in a six meter long ski that's as wide as your hips so trying to position yourself in the takeoff, trying to build up enough speed in the takeoff and then try to drop down, um, you know, diagonally and, and with the ski almost vertical, uh, it was quite a rush when you made it down and a lot of fist pumping, a lot of cheering with my mate Maddie, and a super exciting day and a day I'll, I'll never, ever, ever forget. Absolutely incredible day. That is horrifying to hear that his first wave was the one that he got rolled on. Now, if you haven't seen the pictures, they've been all over social media. But if not, head to Luke Horder's social media pages or Sydney Harbour Surf Club. They are breathtaking. And the wave that he's speaking about where he got flogged on the first one, that photo is unbelievable. The ski's straight up in the air. And I can't believe it landed next to him after that. That is, that is fate, that's for sure. I think um, they say that about big wave surfers. You just have to go out, get flexed and flogged the first time, and then it doesn't seem as bad. So for that, I'm happy to pass the big wave mantle on to Luke. Yeah, Luke Luke is now the big wave charger. Big wave Luke, or big wave hoarder as we'll call him. Macca, what are you... I guess by comparison, you know, you're now, what, medium wave Macca? I'd almost go small wave. No, if I'm small wave Sam, you've got to be medium wave <laughs> Macca. Oh, it's got a better ring to it, doesn't it? This is one thing that I thought, right? And I want and I want to get your thoughts on it. What does it do in terms of making you want to actually charge waves like that? Is that I feel like it's kind of like a glass ceiling moment that you kind of go, "Wow, that's actually possible." I think so. Yeah. Like the it's it's plausible. There it is. It's been done. It makes me want to do it. You're going to have to uh you're going to have to come down to Sydney Harbour next time it's on because it looks like it's a good location for it having a bit of a channel there. I'm not sure how you'll go at Surfers Paradise taking it straight into the sand. I'm, I'm not sure if that one will actually hold out. I've got, I've got one wave, one hope, and I just hope someone's there with a camera. You know what? Luke wasn't the only person charging around the world lately. Since our last episode where we got to dissect things properly, we did mention the incredible downwind conditions mm. they got in Cape Town. Now, I spoke to Kenny Rice about this again recently, and I said it looks like the wind was cranking. 
any deadpan was like, no, the wind was dangerous. And it actually looked <laughs> like that too. It was blowing a gale, yet everyone was yeah. just out there seeing to have so much fun. Now, we spoke about Daniel Jacobs, who got the paddler's plug last episode. Well, this time around, from the same kind of conditions, Zach and Jerry, the South African paddling duo, are getting our nod <laughs> this time around. The video they posted, it, it isn't exactly what you'd expect on a, a pumping, borderline scary downwind run. They are having so much fun doing it. Yeah, a little comedic turn to the whole thing. Got wigs on, a little... It is. It is a bit of a laugh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's. Fun. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a laugh for them out there. It would have been a little bit scary, but it looks like they're having a hell time. <laughs> They've got a teddy bear strapped to their the back of their boat as well, and it's... Now, I don't blame the teddy bear. I would have been doing the same thing. It had its head up for a while before it was just too scared to look towards the end. But, Maka, this is a conversation that you and I had um, when we first saw the clip as well that they posted, of course, using the hashtag, the paddler's plug, and they gave us a tag. The thing with downwind paddling for you and I, Mac, is that whenever we do a downwind, it's normally for training. You know, we're normally out there trying to get faster, trying to get ready for races, but they are literally there. They're both incredible paddlers, but they're both there just to have the time of their life. Mm. And I feel like that's something that, that sometimes gets lost from maybe our end of paddling being a little bit more competitive. Dean Gardner mentioned it to me a while ago when we were doing a story about, about paddling. He said that some days he goes out and trains and some days he'll do a downwind just for leisure. It's almost like going for a surf or going to catch waves like Big Wave Luke did. I think it's probably a really good thing skills-wise to actually just make sure you're throwing sessions in like that. Yeah, I think learning how to chase runs, um, even if it's, you know, you just get one extra run out of your session, it tallies up to, you know, 10 seconds. And I've lost races by a lot less than Mm. 10 seconds. So, yeah, I think it's extremely valuable. And now we've got a bit of time to do it and there isn't as many races and maybe there's not as... Uh, as much you know focus on heavy training it's a great time to get out there and and try and learn new things and yeah i think it's great yeah the timing was really good for for all of cape town as well to cop that weather event because that was around the first weekend that they were able to get back on the water so it was almost as if the downwind paddling god said you guys have been patient you've done the right things so here's some absolutely so, cranking yeah, conditions for you, you to enjoy <laughs> zach and jerry the paddlers plug for this episode congratulations boys we'll make sure we share that video around as well it is an absolute laugh so much fun mm-hmm. number two. Oh, mac we haven't heard that sound on the podcast before but that is our breaking news alarm. And there is breaking news in the world of surf ski racing. The Doctor and WA Race Week have been cancelled for 2020. Now, without getting too in-depth on the issue, essentially it boils down to the fact that there's been a second break in Australia, a second wave, if you will, in this that originated in Melbourne. Now, the, the state of Victoria, for our international listeners, that's the province that includes Melbourne, is now recording 500 new COVID cases a day. This is astronomically bigger than anything that Australia saw in its first wave, and that's caused each Australian state to lock up shop. So we were planning on, as Australians, being able to travel to Perth for the doctor this year. At the moment, they're not letting anyone into the state, and that's even including a quarantine period. So even if they relax those restrictions, we're still looking at a two-week isolation period, which people aren't going to be able to do for the doctor. 
I really feel for Dean Gardner as race organizer. His hands were essentially tied. He's now made that decision to cancel this year's event. Macca, firstly, on the, the fact that the doctor won't go ahead, how does that make you feel? I'm shattered, Sam. I really am. I mean, that was that is what everything has been geared towards. We, like I said before, yeah, that was our great few, hope. A wasn't few it? power plays. That was. That's what it was all geared towards, and and now that that doesn't look like it's going ahead. So saddened really saddened it's such a special race the doctor and it's such a good race too in terms of conditions oh, isn't it Maka, we both have so many special memories there for you you know you've finished second there before mm. the race itself what is it like for those who haven't been able to do it it's just everything about ocean paddling it's one of the few i, I think maybe you know only a few ocean paddling races are actually channel crossings and that is one of them and it's quite a special unique feel you you get the boat out the ferry across um the morning of the race you sit there you huddle up everyone's there for the same reason under the army barracks it's normally hot as hades you just wait for the wind and generally it always comes through and it never feels it never feels like it's there no it always ends up being there yeah it's just special i mean there's there's hardly any flat water paddling which is great uh and pretty much 27k downwind it's such an iconic event not only on the australian surf ski calendar but also internationally as well you know we have so many people travel across for it we were preparing for the fact that there wasn't going to be an international field. Yeah. Now yeah. that it's it's official, it's not happening, uh, simply because, you know, of the uncertainty. I'd hate, you know what, I'd almost hate to get to November now and a few weeks before the race, they open the borders and say, everyone come in because this has been such a hard decision for Dean to make. You know, not only from an event perspective, oh. but being from Western oh, Australia gee. himself, he does so much to try and get racing over to WA and get that community mobilized and involved. Now, they're, they're staring down the barrel of not being able to travel over to the East Coast for any races full stop. So it's a really difficult position, but I guess just another example of, of what we're seeing around the world. Now, in South Africa, the Pete Marlin race has been forced to cancel this year due to the same issue. It's a really tough time for the, uh, the racing community and hopefully Makaru can can see an end at some point. Yeah, hopefully it bounces back. I mean, I'm sure everyone is going to be wanting to get back over to Perth when they're allowed to. Hopefully it's next year. I mean, fingers crossed it is. It could be the biggest doctor race yet. Well, I, I certainly think it will be, and I certainly think that'll be the same for numerous other paddling races around the world. And, and hopefully we can have that international contingent back. That'd be really special. Throw on a race in Perth in the meantime. We love going to Perth, <laughs> don't we, Macca? I want to oh, get I back do there. love it. I want, to, I want to enjoy it. Now, Macca, although the doctor's being cancelled, there is still hope that the race week itself will be able to go ahead, although that'll be on the east coast of Australia. It's early days and organisers are yet to have any conversations with local or state governments about this, but they want to host the race week in regional New South Wales. Now, no location has been officially thrown around, but I understand Foster is the leading candidate, a, a small holiday town. Ru yeah, rumours are circulating. Yeah, a little bit north of Newcastle, and it's an obvious choice. It's a big holiday town, lots of accommodation, and quite good conditions along that part of the coast as well. The plan would be to run a condensed race week over four days from Friday the 20th of November to Monday the 23rd, before having four days off and finishing the race week with the 20 beaches, the iconic Sydney event, which would be brought forward by two weeks to run on the date that the doctor would have. It's a 
big logistical operation. And having spoken to Dean, yeah. yeah, having spoken again to Dean this morning, he that's exactly what he wants to do. But he admits that it may not simply be able to happen just because of how much is involved. He's been running the doctor for, gee, almost 20 years now over in Perth. Those relationships are so easy to be able to form. It's a totally different ball game to be able to drop a new event on pretty short notice too into a town that hasn't even seen any ocean ski racing before. There's no ocean ski races in Foster or or really even nearby. Um, so it would be a huge development for the sport. But Maka, how good would it be? I think Sam, it's, it's like they're doing the best they can with the hands that seem to be just getting dealt every which way of every minute and, and it's so many changing changing levels um i think it'd be so good i'd be i'd be ecstatic if if the actual race week was still able to go ahead and, and we really didn't miss out on much racing yes we wouldn't get to do the infamous doctor but you know big calls to to move something like the 20 beaches but but to make that happen like you said it's going to be tough and it would have never been done before um and especially in a location that they've never really done before. I mean, I'd be excited to go and race in Foster. I know the wind's good there. Only I'm sort of a little bit worried about the man in the grey suit, but I'll deal with it as long as it's not bigger than my ski. <laughs> you know what? The less we say about that, the better. But look, I, I do have a lot to say about this. The first thing being, hats off to the organising committee of the 20 Beaches who are already volunteered to move this race forward and to accommodate around a New South Wales race week. It would be huge, I think, for a number of reasons. Now, one being that it would be another new high tide mark for international racing in that although this year's WA Race Week was going to boast $200,000, which is bigger than ever, a New South Wales Race Week would actually have $230,000 on the line simply because of the prize money that 20 Beaches itself also has. So in a year when some guys actually who really rely on the prize money to get by are limited for options, it's going to be a big opportunity for them to actually, gee, earn, earn more money than ever. The other thing involved in running it in New South Wales is that unlike Western Australia, which is quite secure with its borders at the moment because of the fact it has no community transmissions, New South Wales would let people in. So athletes from Western Australia, it's likely they would be allowed into New South Wales to race. You know, we look at guys like Michael Booth, Brendan Rice, Fergus Morgan, all of those guys making the trip across to New South Wales, but they would have to isolate going back to Western Australia for two weeks on arrival. Queensland to New South Wales, it's free travel, so all of the athletes from Queensland will be able to come down, and obviously the New South Wales-based athletes would only have to drive off the road. So the bulk of the Australian racing community, if not all of the community, would still be there. And Maka, I really like the idea that we're potentially heading into unknown waters. No one has ever raced an ocean ski event in Foster. <laughs> Unlike the doctor, which comes in to so much knowledge, so much experience about which line to set and knowing where the cardinal marker is, this is this is a level playing field. This we talk about fantasy sport. Well, this is exactly right. And I think that'd be a really exciting concept. Not only that, but I know that Foster in the Mid-North Coast, whether it's you know Port Macquarie or Coffs Harbour or elsewhere, has a really strong nippers movement. I think by taking an event like this to a region that's so often neglected, and not just the downwind races we're talking about, which would be you know, a, a main downwind feature race, two shorter downwind races, and the Dash for Cash, organisers are still planning on running the Iron Person event, which was set to debut this year as well. 
people would get such a huge kick out of that. Yeah, all the young kids there. I mean, we both did nippers with New South Wales and it's the biggest state of nippers. Uh, and there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of kids around there that would love nothing more, especially in this time, like this time of crisis, than to be able to see some of their heroes come and race and, you know, get to see them run about and there'd, there'd be a lot of interaction there. Well, fingers crossed that, that that's what would be able to happen. And I think it would do wonders for the surf surf life-saving community. The iconic Foster Ironman <laughs> Carnival. Macker, have you done it before as a nipper over the long weekend? Only once, actually. Oh, yeah? We used to make the trip up there a fair bit. So I'm from Newcastle, which is obviously a bit closer to Foster, but they have an annual event there that, that attracts hundreds and hundreds of nippers and their families. And there really is such a good community feel around the whole town when that event rolls in. It would be the exact same for a New South Wales race week. And I think it could really be huge for paddling in that part of the world as well. Now, Dean has already said that, you know, if it can happen and if it's successful, there's no reason why they couldn't return there for either a race weekend or, or more standalone races in future. And look, when it's all about growing the sport, I think this is a really big opportunity to actually make something positive come from this. Absolutely. So where it stands at the moment is that talks will now get underway with local councils, whether that's starting at Foster or or going to uh, other locations around that north part of the New South Wales coast, and generally just trying to get those approvals in place to get it off the ground. Look, I hope that they jump at it at a time when economies are hurting, especially tourism economies um, all around the country and and look all around the world as well, clearly. This could be a really big event for Foster as a town and it will be a huge event for paddling in Australia. So fingers crossed that they can get something across the line. Number one. Our man, the big O, Oscar Chalupski, the patron of the Paddlers Pod, being recognised for his incredible service to the sport of surf ski paddling, being named the first ever winner of the Joe Glickman Award. Now, for those who haven't, Yet seen it, Oscar was presented with the inaugural trophy in a really, really touching video conference with uh, Bruce Seymour, the convener from uh, Paddling in Hong Kong, the organizer of the Dragon Run. Also on the panel was David Mocha, Michelle Array, Jim Hoffman and Dean Gardner, as well as Oscar himself, but he was actually cut out of proceedings a little bit earlier on. The panel agreed that in terms of sacrifice, passion, commitment, dedication, Everything that makes our sport great, Oscar had to be the first winner. And Maka, it is so fitting as well to see him recognised. Isn't it ever? I think it's quite rare for an award, um, you know, being its first inception to have such a prestige carried by it. Absolutely. I think it's, it doesn't happen very often by any means. And I feel like that's that's exactly what's happened with this award. I never had the privilege um, to meet Joe, but some of the things that I've heard about him and the stories and, and what he did for the surf ski community some of his um recollections or race reports some of the videos are, are still standalone the best to date and yeah it's it's such a tribute to to oscar and what he's done for the sport and it's quite an uh, emotionally gripping video that's for sure mate it is emotional i teared up a bit yeah oh my god i'm, no I'm gonna be emotional on it. i don't think i've ever i don't think i've ever seen oscar get emotional either but there were very few dry eyes in it because you know of just how much He's given to the sport. Not only that, but he speaks really eloquently about his relationship to Joe as well. And not only Joe, but his wife, Beth, who is also on the video and making a presentation. Now, that part of the video is absolutely... Yeah. Uh, that. Now, that that's where I lost it. That was... um. It's just beautiful stuff. 
And Maka, there's a real poignant actual moment to it and a comment that Oscar made to me when I was interviewing him for the Padlet.news website as well. He said that when Joe was going through his cancer battle, Oscar wanted to do everything he could to be there for him. That's speaking on the phone every day. He actually flew to America and they did a double ski race, the Blackburn Challenge as well, which they won. Of course, Oscar doesn't do things in half measures. (laughs) He said that he wanted to be there for Joe and this is now Joe's way of being there for him during his cancer battle as well. It's a really, really nice moment. And I'm really glad that the uh, organizers were able to make it happen too. Absolute credit to Bruce Seymour, who has worked tirelessly to get this off the ground. Because I think just by seeing the reaction that it got online, now this video got more than 10,000 views on the Pablo's Facebook page alone, even more on the website. The comments, the shares, the interactions on it were huge because... This is something people identify with. This is what our sport is all about, Macker. It's not necessarily about the racing and the winning. It's just about being involved in our community and getting out and having a paddle. Yeah, that's what surf ski paddling is for me. And I mean, I've I've only been in there a short time and the memories that I've made, it's it'd be incredible to think, you know, the amount of memories and, and stories and experiences that someone like the big O, big Oscar Chalopsky has made throughout his career. And I think maybe on top of that, how many hearts he's touched throughout and got people into the surf ski movement. He's certainly a deserving winner, that's for sure, Macker. And I think the thing that I'm really looking forward to as well is that, you know, this is going to be an annual award. We're going to see it awarded each and every year. And I love the fact that every year, every time that it happens, we can recognize people and delve into their stories and their contributions as well, because yeah. there are so many people who give so much to this sport. So... I think it's uh, it's the start of a new era in a way of recognizing those kind of contributions. Congratulations to Bruce, to everyone involved in it, to Beth Glickman as well for for her support of the award because it's uh, it's an amazing initiative and I really look forward to seeing more of it. And Maka, this is something that I guess has been building up for a while, but I think it's only right that we get in touch with our man, <laughs> the big O. And hear his thoughts on on all of that and check in on how he's going just after this. I tell you what, Sam, off the back of that swell that we had pretty much all over the east coast of Australia, there has got to be some dings or even some snap skis. <laughs> well, I think there'd be many skis in uh, many parts, I think, Macca. Luckily, Big Wave Hoarders ski was in one piece after his spill, but I don't think there would have been... As many people lucky in the same position. No, no, that overseas as well, really. Gee, that pumping downwind that everyone got. Everywhere. I think pretty much anywhere that there was a paddling community, someone was out there charging and there's got to be some damage done. There's got to be some um, some ones at the bottom of the ocean, maybe. Well, Maka, with that in mind, I think there'll be some people looking for some new craft. And uh, look, I, I can point them in the right direction. The proud sponsors of the Paddler's Pod Stella Kayaks Australia. And if you're looking for a kind of boat that can go out in those conditions, I guess the Elite Assassin is the one you may have your eye on. It's the latest boat in their diverse range of surf skis and kayaks, whether you're looking for something to give you the competitive edge or simply want something to take out on the water and enjoy the great outdoors with ease. Stella Kayaks has the boat for you. Head to stellakayaks.com.au and view the full range today, the Stellar Kayaks, the next generation of performance. This is a very special occasion on the Paddler's Pod. We are lucky enough to have the man of surf ski paddling, 
not just uh, one of the greatest athletes of all time and not just one of the most recognizable paddlers of all time, but also the patron of our podcast itself. The great man Oscar Chalupski joins us now. Oscar, how are you going? Good, Sam. Very good. And Maka, good, Sam. And Maka, good to hear you, boys. <laughs> good to have you here. It is a very special moment for us to have you, the voice, the fabric that ties our podcast together <laughs> on the actual podcast itself. Oscar, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast yet? Yeah, I've listened to quite a few. I mean, they're very good and very informative. And I think everybody should be uh, registering and subscribing so they get the information. And, and, and it's very interesting and very entertaining and Mac and, oh. and, and you, Sam, are doing a great job. Very. Oh, that's you. nice. Yeah, thank you. That's you what are, we paid you the money for, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you are exactly. the patron. Hey, well, what do you think about being the voice, Oscar, of the podcast? No, I'm very happy to be. I mean, it's a, again, it's an honor to be uh, included in anything that promotes uh, surf ski paddling and paddling. As you know, my late friend Joe Glickman used to say that Oscar is so passionate, even if you do another sport, he wants you to come do surf ski because he knows it's the best sport and that hasn't changed and never will. <laughs> That's why the, all the SUPs and all the K1 paddlers are hey, listen, just get into surf ski. It's the way forward. It's the way of the future. Absolutely, Oscar. And we're actually glad you mentioned Joe because you have won the first ever Joe Glickman Award. Now, we've spoken a bit about that on this podcast and on the Paddler.news website if you haven't seen it yet. But Oscar, how does it feel to have won that award? It was a really special thing. No, it was a very special thing, and it was something that totally out of left field. I had no idea. I mean, I was on the original thing. I said, no, this is a fantastic award. Bruce Seymour said, uh, okay, this, we must do this award. And I said, okay, these the guys must be involved. And then I, I forgot about it. He, he showed me the trophy long ago. And I said, oh, this is a fantastic mm. award. And I, and I said, I, I can't be part of, uh, part of it myself, but I'll help you and put all the people like Michelle Hiray, uh, Jim Hoffman, Dean Gardner, all the all the people from around the world uh, to help in, in deciding who's going to be the the recipients, and then then David phones. He says, "Hey, Oscar, I need a, I need a bit of help. I wanted you to explain to a group of my paddlers how the zero feather works." So I said, "Okay, what time? Eleven o'clock." <laughs> and I said, "I said, what the hell do you want me to teach him?" But again, as as you know, I'm I'm, I'm there to help, and uh, no matter who, you know, so. He's not. I have to yes, make it three yeah. o'clock. <laughs> so three you o'clock. People are finally. People are finally listening and taking up the zero <laughs> yeah, exactly. paddle. Yeah, exactly. But they actually are funny enough. By the way, <laughs> more <laughs> than you'll more than you'll believe. More than you'll believe. Much yeah, you more. Maybe right. we should start as well. Yeah, it, it takes a bit of time. You know, you, know, you you can either be a sheep or you be the leader. So when he when they came on when when I I, I get at three o'clock I get there and I see all these people I said jeez why must I teach Beth. Beth Glickman, which is Joe's wife, and Bruce Seymour's there, and Michelle. I said, geez, this is a strange bunch of people I'm coaching. Okay, what happened? And then they told <laughs> me about I'll the award, which is, oh, yeah. So it was a, gee, it was a very, it's a big shock. And then, and, and my wife, obviously, Claire, knew all about it, but I, she, didn't, she didn't let on one bit. And, and it was uh, very strange. It's an incredible video. Have you had a chance to watch it back yet? No, I actually haven't, but I, a lot of people have watched it and they said, oh, there a lot of people were tearing up as much as I was. A couple because of tears, yeah. because yeah, it's, it's tough, you know, you, when you're going through these things. I mean, even though you have highs and lows, it's a very emotional uh, part of your life and, and part mm. of everybody else's life. And having Joe there and, and uh, doing the, the Blackburn with him 
before he died was something special. And, and, and you can see that Beth really appreciated what I did for Joe in, in, in all his paddling career. I mean, I spent a lot of time with him. I coached him a lot. I took him to all the places around the world, Tahiti, Hawaii, and he really enjoyed it. Oscar, we've spoken a fair bit about the award and, and how much it, it means to you. And one thing that you've always said is that, you know, you obviously don't do it for the accolades and the appreciation for teaching people because you'll teach them the way to paddle, whether they like it or not. <laughs> yeah. have, you, have you noticed, did you notice the reaction online? Because there were hundreds of comments. You know, the video itself has something like, you know, more than 10,000 views of people that have watched it all the way through. You know, it's touched a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I really, that, that's something that I, I, I did see, that, that it's really getting huge traction. So the, the people that I've, that I've embraced and, and taught and helped and, and, and obviously been with for all these years are actually starting to appreciate what I've done for the sport. And I really appreciate getting the award for doing what I love most. So, so it's, it's my, been my passion all my life. And as I say, remember, I've been doing it since... I, since the 1970s, you know, so it's a long time. And, and uh, this is probably the, the cherry on the top when you actually get your peers saying, hey, this guy's actually done something for the sport that nobody else has done so far. And I'm sure there's other people that deserve it as, as much as me, but I've definitely, uh, from all the messages, you can see that there's been a real appreciation, which, which makes you more positive and which makes you feel you've got to keep on going and, and keep on promoting our fantastic sport. It's it's the one thing for the international paddling community is that, you know, there's very, very few paddlers that you haven't met or, you know, that, that everyone's got <laughs> has, you know, has a, a story. story of having having met you, you know. I'm sure you don't remember, a, you know, an 18-year-old Sam and Macker in 2013 when we met you for the first time that, Not at you know, all. we... We, we certainly remember meeting you, Oscar. You've always <laughs> tried to have that connection with, with everyone around the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very important. I mean, anything, you know, you don't get too big and too fast and too, too full of yourself in the sport. I mean, it's one of the, that's one of the great things in the sport is that everybody's very inclusive and you can go and speak to uh, uh, Darwin Mocky or Hank McGregor or Corey Hill and they're always, always going to give you time of day. And I think we've got to make sure that we keep that that breeding in, in our sport where everybody's friendly. Of course, when we're out there fighting to win, and, and, and I know this more and more, that everybody's out to beat me, no matter how bad of what cancer I've got, they couldn't care. They said, oh, they'll just put, I beat Oscar. Mac included, everybody. Sam, oh, yeah, I beat, yeah, yeah. Wait till the wind blows, boy. <laughs> well, that's exactly right, Oscar. You know, the, you mentioned to me this to me when we first spoke, you know, those months ago about the whole thing but you raced the doctor last year with cancer and you didn't even realize and you were going toe-to-toe with people yeah no that was that was something i mean again it's an old story and, and is, is that i said guys and i'm not one to complain about uh, training and being painful and i said guys i can't sleep i haven't trained for months and they said oh yeah i pulled the other one we know this uh, this normal thing and and then I really took strain. I mean, I was still paddling as hard as I could, but with serious pain. And then after the doctor, I flew straight home and then I got the, the diagnosis and I realized. And, and then when I, when I posted my first, first health update, a lot of people were seriously shocked, you know, because to claim a victory and then you realize the guy's half dead. Uh, it's not so good, you know. <laughs> are you saying, I want to get this clear, Oscar, are you telling me yeah. that 
that you would have beaten me last year in Germany when we raced we raced in Germany you would have beaten me in the single is that what you're saying not in Germany it's too flat, <laughs> too flat. You know, I'm still I'm still the wrong side of 56 so it's a problem that's a small problem on the flat water but on the downwind, I know I've got a small chance against most people in the world. Especially Sam. But I've got to be fit. Oscar, tell our <laughs> valued listeners about how well we moved that double ski when, when there were a couple of runs there. Oh, no, that was fantastic. Again, that was so much fun. <laughs> Jumping into a double ski, never never paddled with somebody before, and off you go. And then we were neck and neck with the guys and, and fought hard all the way. And when in the runs, we were, we were there, you know, in flat water. And we were paddling the little short little basically a fun double and then we had fun and that's the most important thing and we and we did well and 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 that's important it was at the end fun. of the day uh, you you learned probably a little bit of, of how to catch runs a little bit easier than most <laughs> i did and we had to push hard you know it was <laughs> it was great we had to push hard. i learned some things yeah. i'm sure you learned some things from me you know <laughs> back and forth <laughs> Now, Oscar, one thing that you've really made the effort to do throughout your cancer battle is be as transparent as possible. And, you know, you've spoken about that in, in wanting to inform other people. Well, look, you gave us an, an update on social media. Um, do you mind talking a bit about where it's all at and, and what that update involved? Well, I mean, the, the, the big thing is, is that, that I've done this uh, bone marrow transplant. It's basically the mm. same as any other transplant, liver or heart, whatever it is, except it's 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 a lot more basically they kill you before they do the transplant and and that's pretty tough i mean it was it was really tough and then you think gee you're home how am i going to survive this and it was funny that i asked i said why don't you tell the guys it's so tough he says if we tell the people nobody will do it you know if you have a, a liver <laughs> transplant you get put out you get put out cold uh they take it out put another one in and then you wake up it's done this is like mm. five days of close to death when they, they kill you with the, the chemo to kill all the, all the cells in your body. And you seriously, you think, oh, you can't survive. And it just carries on for three weeks. And then uh, now, and then your, my white blood cells uh, normally have to be over five. They were like 0.1. So I was barely, so if, if somebody walked past and had a flu, I would catch it and, and die or ca catch corona. Wow. Which, which my guy that was sitting next to was in the room next to me he actually got it and he actually passed away bless his soul the guy Anthony is very nice guy which is terrible to see so, so yeah so so i dodged a bullet there and then once i came home I, felt, I i don't like hospitals i've never been a person a hypochondriac type so i like to get out and then once i was back home which i'm now then i can walk and I, i've got claire giving good cooking i can sleep in but people waking up all the every five minutes so now the only thing that I had was, it was uh, you feel like nauseous the whole time, 24-7, but not nauseous enough to vomit, but other people have that problem. And then, and then as I got better, then you get less nauseous and then you get a little bit more stronger. And, and what happened was um, the only thing I had was a skin irritation, which was seriously yeah, that looked, that painful really and hard. scratchy and itchy. It, no, it's, it's, it's not for the faint heart. When people look at that, they think, what the hell? And, mm. and then, so what happened was um, now it's improving. So it's still a long way to go because, as I say, as you know, there's no cure as yet for multiple myeloma. So, so although I'm feeling strong and, and I will only know the effects of, of the bone marrow transplant, how well it's done in about two months' time. And then, or yeah, maybe a month and a half time. And then I think once my 
jumper leaves come out, I'm sure I can start paddling, which will be something new. And I'm probably going to do probably a few podcasts and everything, how you start from not able to do one push-up or not even walk one kilometer to start paddling again and, and try and catch up no, with I'm you. I'm sure you won't be again. too far off. I could certainly do with a few of those podcast <laughs> uh, lessons at the moment on how to get fit again. But, Oscar, you, you sound like you're fit and healthy and strong. You know, I, I remember you saying to me about the white blood cell count. It needed to be around five and a half. Is that right? So it's not too far away? Correct, yeah. It's not far off. I'm hoping that this weekend, this Friday, I have my next checkup with all the bloods, that they take the jumper leads out and then, they, and they, and then they, my white blood cells are normal for, for, norm, for men, you know, for men, men about five, five and a half. So it's been going up really well and I'm happy. And you can feel it in your body because you can, you can digest the food and you don't feel sick all the time. And, 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 you can, and, and my walking, my heart rate's coming down slowly. My, I mean, normally when I walk, it's like 50, it's between, before I had all this nonsense, when I walked, it would be 70, 80. Now, if I go up a hill, it goes to 150, 160, so walking, which is not the best, but I mean, that's the way to, to sort of try and get the, all the toxins out of my body. You can imagine, I mean, just having pills and this chemo is killing you slowly. Yeah, well, I think you half answered the question before when you said, you were going to try and paddle when you get those damn jumper leads out. But when when do you look like you'll be optimistic to get in the boat? Well, uh, I think when they take it out, I think they, because it's, 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 it's a pop going right into my jugular vein. And I'm still trying to work out how they take it out without <laughs> a general true. anesthetic. I thought, jeez, they pull it out and then I'm going to bleed to death. Well, you're not, I'm making you're not doing the it the easy way, are you? <laughs> so they say they do it on a local. They start, they inject it and then they have to cut those things out that they put in and then and then hopefully uh, a few days or, or a week after that once the the scars are healed then i can speak to my doctor where i can do my first paddle and then see if i can actually paddle because i haven't done it for a very long time oh, i'm sure it'll just be like riding a bike i mean you are i was going to say maybe the paddling gods may listen to you and, and give you some of those awesome downwinds that we've seen in south africa but you, you are the <laughs> yeah, paddling god so are you just putting that on for yourself <laughs> Yeah, I'm only for, only for myself, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be fun to, to paddle and, and, and be on the water and, and be more more active. And, and oh, I'm I can imagine. lining up my Nello. Yeah, so it's been a long time. I mean, the other thing, I think it's not nearly 12 or 10 or 12 weeks that I haven't had a single drink. So Wow. So that's, that's uh, big for, that's big yeah, for how's you. That? That's almost more impressive that's big than for not me. paddling. That's, <laughs> yes, I mean, that has been hard. That has been really hard. That's a hot, one of the hardest things. Yeah. It sounds like Claire's been nothing but a godsend to you through this. Is um, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, but is she sick of you now? <laughs> yeah, I'm sick. She she actually got sick and had had a COVID test last week. By the way, I oh wow! That in and and and, and she Ooh. passed. She passed. She was negative, so it was quite close. So she had to stay in the other room and keep social distancing till she got a test. Mm. So she was sick and I never got sick. So I'm, that's why I know I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on the healing side is that, is that uh, my white cells were strong enough to fight off her cold or that's flu. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's great news though. How do you think you've been as a, uh, as a patient for Claire? Have you been on your best behavior? <laughs> Believe me, you're always on your best behavior. When, when I started off, I go for a one kilometer walk and then sleep, sleep for three hours to recover. So you can imagine how good. Mm. And then Claire's the 
top chef in town, so fantastic food and, and looks after me like I'm a king, which is uh, very appreciative. <laughs> I'm really very, yeah, lucky. very lucky, very lucky. I get home-cooked meals every day, so and we get deliveries every day, I mean, every week for the food for the week, so there's no going out. I mean, funny enough, I just drove. I, the only thing I can do is actually drive in a car around and, and just drive, you know, just go and see the beauty of mm. Cape Town again. We've got a magnificent winter's day here again. So that's what I can do. And, and it's, and it's, that's been a lot of fun. That's sort of my, my outing. And then obviously walking and I've just got to keep away from all the people, which I do. So I see anybody, I've got to be just 10 minutes away. So, and now with my white cells going up, I should be able to be a little bit more uh, active or socially active where I can actually maybe uh, have people around that are, that are, definitely not COVID positive and, and they haven't got any colds or flus or things like that. So that's, that's the next trick. So hopefully that's this week. If my white blood cells that's jump. fantastic news, Oscar. We're so happy to hear that. And yeah, on behalf crossed. of the, uh, the international surf ski community, I know I can say that everyone's sending you their love. You mentioned before, I guess the process of getting back into the boat and getting back into a bit of paddling, I guess in a way, it's something that a, a lot of paddlers around the world have had to do this year, maybe for the first time after having time out of the boat through lockdown. You know, being the surf ski enthusiast that you are, have you have you been paying much attention? Have you been chatting to anyone to see how they're they're getting back into the boat? Because yeah, I, I mean, I was, can... uh, I, my brother, I speak to my brother all the time, and then he started, and <laughs> the first time when they went paddling, they all got blisters. Obviously, first yeah. thing they <laughs> didn't, didn't realize they had. Uh, soft uh, fairy hands and and then and then a slowly sort of progress but the but the whole thing about it and that's the difference between competing internationally and i was very sorry to hear about the doctor being uh, postponed or cancelled is that mm. what happens is that if you get into the water with everybody else that's also hasn't paddled then it's all right but if you get into the water against the australians that have been paddling for all the time you, you then you really see how bad you are it's all very well if everybody on the same league, and that's what's happened in South Africa. But if you compete against the Aussies and New Zealanders who've been training, you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe how slow we are. And you can't tell that until you compete internationally. That's one thing that we spoke about a few months ago, you know, when Australians were getting back on the water, Oscar. Do you think that now that we know it, there'll be no international racing this year, given Australia's COVID situation, it's very unlikely, if not impossible, that anyone will be able to come down under to race next year. Do you think there'll be any lasting impacts on on racing? I, I, you know, funny Sam. I think no. I think no because what happens? People, if if again, it's just your mindset. If you get your right mindset and realize, okay, so I've had a good rest this year. This is sort of going to add a, a, another year to my life of paddling hard. You know, because, because this year wasn't hard. Never raced. Didn't do anything. Concentrate and get in my technique that I, some my flaw in one of my technique get that fixed up and I should be going faster if if, if, uh, if you've got the right attitude, you know, you can either sulk about not mm. paddling or you can say, okay, let's fix that That flick of the water on my left hand side or let's fix up that splash that I always hear on my right hand side when I'm going into the wind So all these little things that you can really work on to really make you a much better paddler. I mean at the end of the day and everybody knows this uh, at 56, I'm not going to get any stronger or 57 now. But I can definitely get my technique that a little bit better to give me 1% or 2%, which might put me up next to Mecca and you and the doctor next year. 
And then well, who knows? You might maybe. even go to a negative, a negative feather. <laughs> no, you can't go negative. Yeah, just just well, be normal. <laughs> wouldn't put it past you. So, do you think it might even work in terms of a positive way? Like we know Sean, we had Sean on before, and he and he said yes, that. yes, I think yeah, we might no, have I'd say more I, if you again, yeah. So what number one is that there's more people. This is something that that most people don't think about is that when you're not racing, and this is up to you guys and and the guys in Australia and the deans of this world is that. When you're not racing, you can spend a lot more time getting more peep paddlers into the sport. And I think uh, Dean's already said that, and a lot of people around the world have said a lot of people getting into surf ski paddling. The reason why they're getting into the, the, the top boys are saying, hey, come and paddle, come try the sport. Where before, they're all so busy training and trying to win each race, they're not sort of introducing more and more people into the sport. And uh, nah, I think that's happening. It's definitely happening. People saying, oh, come and paddle with me. I've got time. Go and double with me. And that's growing the sport, and, and, it's, and it's really good to see. So, it's, again, it's always your attitude of how you take uh, these these uh, bumps in the road, as you call them. You either make it good for you, or, or you just uh, make make it make your life a misery. You know? Oscar, what are you seeing in the sport around the world in terms of participation numbers and also competition? Well, the participation numbers are growing all the time. And the nice thing about it, un- unlike SUPS, they went through the roof and they came, they're coming down the roof now as fast as they went up. We're surf ski paddling all this time. And I've seen it for a long time, obviously. It's just grown steadily all the time. And and it's funny, I can see the progression. I mean, sub's the big thing. Then they go from sub to OC1 and then from OC1 to surf ski. So it's just a slow, slow growth and, and a sustained growth, which is important. And and you you, you hardly ever see a, a surf ski paddler. The only guy I probably know a surfski paddler that went to SUP and never came back was David Kassain. But the rest all come back. They all eventually come back because the, because the, the surfski paddlers are there for life, you know, where the SUP guys are there for a short while. And, and I think the SUP guys are going to take a little bit of strain this year. There's no races. And this was like the big, mm. big, uh, everybody thought this is the, the new new sport. But I mean, again, it's not not as easy as they, as they made out to be. And, and, and the surfski paddling is a lot easier. Uh, much, uh, much quicker, more fun, and all those kind of things. But the, the bottom line, they, they, the subs have definitely a lot of people are converting to surf ski, which is fantastic, and that's a perfect way. No matter what sport it is, as long as it gets the people into the ocean, and then from the ocean they'll work it out, which is the most more, most uh, fun sport to have in the ocean. Which I still think is surf ski paddling, really. Yeah, and if they don't find it out on their own, you'll push them there. Yeah. <laughs> There are a few certain paddlers that I want to have a chat to you about, Oscar. Yeah. Some of the people that you've introduced to surf ski paddling, we're talking Magnum PI, Cameron yeah. Diaz, yeah. the Gates <laughs> paddle as well. Talk, talk us through some of those celebrities that you've got on the water and, and how they fared and how they enjoyed surf ski paddling. Well, I mean, the, 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 uh, no, no matter who I get, I always say, hey, come and paddle. I mean, and, and one of the first guys quite a long time ago was Ernie Els. And most people know Ernie Els is mm. one of the best four-time major winners. And I took him out in a double through Nisner Heads. And really, he was completely, he was really shattered and, and, and shitting himself because Nisner Heads is, is, is huge, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and it was fun to take him out. And, and, then, and then Tom Selleck was the, basically the first guy. So what happened was I, I went to Hawaii the first year, 1983, I won the Molokai and he gave me the trophy and things like that. And and 
what happened was he said, no, I'd like a few lessons. So I gave him a few lessons, told him to change his paddle and all <laughs> these kind of things. And, and he bought the, he bought a paddle from my friend Bob Toogood in a way. And, in, and funny enough, it shows you the richer you are, the less you have to pay because Bob Toogood never cashed his check. <laughs> never cashed his checks. He's got a Tom Selleck, Tom Selleck uh, uh, um, pa- uh, check. He kept it all his life. <laughs> he never, never, so Tom Selleck got a free paddle. Brilliant. Yeah, so and I, I, a lot of people like uh, um, and in South Africa, funny enough, um, just to, and again, this is more local. There's a, the Doozy Canoe Marathon. People heard about it. We have like two and a half thousand people going from Marisburg mm. to Durban. And what I did there, I started a thing where I just paddled with celebrities and I paddled with the top. I paddled with the world boxing champion, baby Jake Matlata. He died. And I paddled with the Miss South Africa, Miss World, the soccer stars, the rugby star, Nasbord. And these guys, listen to this. Never even seen a, a, a canoe. They jump in really? the back of the canoe. They never see. Baby Jake, even with two life jackets, he, he would drown if he fell out. I mean, they can't <laughs> even swim. And I take him down these big rapids and, and, and they don't even know. Complain. I would not complain about pushing Miss South Africa around in a K2 for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, funny enough, I mean, you could see how, how removed our sport was. They didn't know. So once mm. you bring in these, these top celebrities, what actually happens is that you introduced the sport to people that never heard of it. And, and it was interesting. I never forget, uh, Dr. Kamala was like the biggest star, like a Ronaldo in, 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 in Europe. And he was the, the biggest star. So when I took him down, so we get at the start of the race, he says, where's our team? I said, no, it's just you and me, you know, because he's just used to people, <laughs> all these guys. And when we were in the, in the valley, in the valley in the, where, where all the locals are, we had 10, 5,000 people following the race carrying our boats, walking with us. It was fantastic. For the first time, we brought these celebrities into the valley. These guys had never seen anywhere like it. So that's, that's what I tried to do. And then obviously it was with Dean Gardner and Joe Glickman and, and Herman and myself. We, we told Cameron Diaz to come paddle and she was surfing. So that was quite, quite a lot of fun introducing to her. And then I just... Did you paddle in a double with Cameron Diaz? No. Funny enough, it actually didn't work out that way because she had a... She had a movie thing and uh, I couldn't get the double at the same time, but she was keen to go. No, she wanted to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she's, she loved that, you know. I'm sure plenty plenty of girls have told me the same thing, Oscar. Yeah, yeah, I'm keen. Maybe just yeah, maybe yeah. next week. Maybe next week. <laughs> yeah, you've seen that photographs. No, he's, I mean, they're, they're, again, the only way to grow the sport is to get a mainstream media to get interested. And the way to get mm. mainstream media into it is to get an everyday person like in, in Australia, get... Uh, David Warner to paddle the surf ski straight away people say oh what's a surf ski sport and, and that's how you grow it you know and and, hmm. and get those guys in the pontings of this world or who's the big hero now uh, a tennis player is quite a big star in Australia I suppose yeah yeah oh there's there's yeah. no shortage of sports people that's for sure yeah but again it's you just, we, we, it's no, making we that effort isn't it exactly it's making an effort and now people have got the time to say hey, come for a paddle and a double with me and, and people it's like knowing somebody, knowing somebody, and then off you go. You you paddle with them, and 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 everybody once they've done it once, they will they will do it again and talk about it, and, and the TV will follow it, and and then the person in the watching on TV, oh, I can do it. If, if, if this guy can do it, I can do it, and then and that's how it grows, and and then I think that's how sport is growing, and it's it's doing well because you don't want to grow too fast. We just want to grow at a rate where it just keeps on growing, progressing, and then you've got Sean Partners 
helping at the top end and at the bottom end because they obviously they like getting coached and things like that. So, so it's definitely the, the way forward is to try and get these top celebrities into the surf skis. And once they've done one downwind, whether it's at Hood River or whether it's in Hawaii, they, they love the sport. And they keep I guess on there's going. a great lesson. There's that lasting impact. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a great lesson in that for, you know, the average paddler who's listening. If they've got friends who they want to try and get involved, you know, it's it's just a matter of taking them out on the water, isn't it? Yes, 100%. And, that's, and you don't have to win any races. You just take them out on the water to be with nature and you just catch one little wave. I know, and, and again, the, 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 the best thing I do is... Uh, even like in, in Porto, when I was catching the Rebellos waves, you know, it's just just catch one wave and the people are hooked on the sport. Oh, that's amazing. All out to sea and just catch <laughs> one little wave. And you know what it's like. I mean, even for us now, there's, there's nothing more exhilarating than jumping on a run yeah. and going 20, 30 kilometers an hour and just lying there and just flying down the wave. I bet you, you both you guys love it still. And, and, no, and you, that never right. gets old and it never, it, it never loses the excitement. Never. Absolutely. Now, Oscar, just before... No. We get into the uh, the iconic ten doubles questionnaire. I just have one more question for you. <laughs> Macro and I spoke yeah. about this on the podcast a, a few episodes ago. Comparing splits, where did that come from, and why do you love doing it so much? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, as when I wasn't winning anymore, I thought, "Geez, why, why am I not winning?" And again, so you see, I'm one of those people. As, yeah, so I'm one of those people all my life. If you ask me, if you come to Durban, you say, which is the best line? I don't say, oh, no, that's my secret. I'm not one of those people. I say, mm. Malachi, this is how you go. You can, if any, anybody, and I'm talking top guys, the Clint Robinsons, these people, all ask me which way I must go in the Malachi, and I'll just tell you. Uh, there's no, and my wife gets cross. Why are you telling them so much? You're going to give them an advantage. I said, I couldn't care. I'll beat them on my, I'll tell them everything I know. It's it's part of my it's part of my DNA. I I want I want to do well, without even worrying about uh, trying to get an advantage because I've done the race ten or fifteen times. So what happened was, and I was just I was getting frustrated because I could see that I was fast. I knew I was fast, but I was losing lots of time at the start, not at the finish. By the way, Mac, as you said at the finish, at the finish I'm still going hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I then I go and look, and I, and I remember two years ago, and that and that was, and, and I ended up coming sixth or seventh, and I was like uh, ten second or or fourth in that big uh, doctor, and I'd lost, mm. and then and then I said, okay, I want to check what's what's going on, how where am I losing the time? So that's where I started going. I said, okay, I've got you on one, and if we go back, and, and the nice thing is you can go back at at the, that doctor with with uh, with. Corey winning it I still I think I got him on 10 and we were like within two seconds of thing but I lost I only lost the the, the first place by five minutes on that but I lost three minutes in the first two kilometers mm. so so you see so that's what was frustrating me and then and and, and again you've got to take you've got to take things that make you want to get faster and what I realized is, and even if I was comparing splits with Sean Rice or Hank, that I'm I'm beating them on, on spritz, which is which is which is not normal for a 57 year old to be beating 20 and 30 year olds. So, and that just gave, gives you heart because you know, hey, listen, I've just got to sort out my start, and I'm back up with these guys because I, the spritz don't lie. The spritz don't lie. <laughs> and, and well, if you need to, if you need to work on your starts, Oscar, then I've got the perfect thing for it. 
10, <laughs> 10 doubles. 10 so doubles. we've got yeah. 10 questions for you. The same 10 questions we ask yeah, every yeah. guest. And we want you to answer them as quickly as possible or at least yeah. the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Okay, yeah, ready. Here we go. Number one, what paddle... Well, actually, you know what? I didn't even think about this. This is the very first question anyway. I know your answer. What paddle length and angle do you use? 210 to 220. Depends on what the conditions are like and it's zero feather. Now, to 220, what kind of conditions yeah, that's a blowout. No, that's, uh, uh, I'll start, 219 is probably my, lo- now I'm getting a little bit old, so 219. I'll start a Molokka at 220 if, if the wind's blowing or if I've got a, a big downwind session where... I start uh, sort of at 220 and then I get some big runs like in Durban and, 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 and especially in Portugal. I'll start at 220 because you're going, you're averaging 17, 18 kilometers an hour. <laughs> so it's no big deal going from 220. And then I normally, on, on, a, on a 40, 50K, my normal paddle is 40Ks, I'll normally end up in about a 214, 215. And then when I turn the corner, funny enough, when I come into Villa de Conde, I'm on 210, 210 every single time mm. because I have to go against the wind for one kilometer to finish. It's something I've never wrapped my head around, changing the yeah. paddle during the paddle. I don't think I can do it. Question well, they're all nine. doing it now. I mean, even Hank's doing it and, and Stott, they're all doing it in marathon champs, which is even harder than uh, in the surf ski. Yeah. So I've been doing that for a long time. And mm. now most people are doing it, which is good. Question number two, what's the fastest one kilometer time you've ever recorded 251 Oof. 351 two, f- two minutes 51 <laughs> 251 <laughs> i'm just rubbing no, it no. so i tell don't tell cory that because uh, he hasn't broken three minutes <laughs> i know hasn't he no 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 not yet not yet yeah. really no. that's a, yeah, that's unbelievable no, is that true yeah, yeah that's that's true wow yeah. Gee, even I've even I've thrown down one. <laughs> Look at that! I mean, Chill. I showed him my one. I did a I did a two fifty five. I remember this kilometer number yep. seventy. Yeah, and he he couldn't believe it. Ah, oh, <laughs> so, funny. Yeah. Question number three: What's the furthest you've paddled in one session? Eighty kilometers. Uh, it took me three hour, uh, four hours thirty minutes, and my average speed was seventeen point seven kilometers an hour and my heart rate was 127 Jay, you remember the details when was this yeah yeah about two years ago exactly exactly two years ago wow in portugal from i went from uh just outside of spain uh to porto yeah okay. and i took a phone call otherwise i, I think i would have got to 18 <laughs> <laughs> business calls you can never clock off question number four what's your favorite pre-race dinner uh, a steak, a really nice steak with a with throwing a few veggies, not too many veggies. And now I used to drink a six pack of beers, but now with with my with my atrial with my flutter that I had, my heart flutter, no alcohol before the race, which is a bit of a pity. So steak is my thing. Yeah. Macker and I have a pre race tradition of having a beer together the night before a race. Yeah, we used to have like six or seven and then win Molokka the next day. No, oh, don't challenge us. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or maybe I'll do Question that. number yeah. five. Oscar, what's your favorite race in the world? I'd have to, again, as I say, the, the I'd have to say Molokka is my favorite race and then I'd follow that probably the, 
the Perth Doctor and and uh, the Nello Summer Challenge because those are invariably downwinds. The, the Molokai, obviously, just history. I've been doing it for such a long time. Such good opposition. When you race that race and you come top ten, as you know, Maka, it's like really something that you've achieved. You know, where some races you can arrive and and win. I mean, as I say, nothing pulling away from Guadeloupe, which is a magnificent race. I've had had two magnificent successes against really fast guys over 50 kilometers, fantastic downwind. And I think you've got to say, if the wind's blowing downwind, you've got warm water, and it's, all races can be fantastic. You know, I've done some fantastic races in Tahiti and in Australia, even a good downwind in, in Sydney. And I actually haven't done too many in, in your side of the, of the, of the coast there, Mecca up north. But uh, as long as there's wind and waves, I love it. No matter where it is. And a bit of warm water. You and can't a bit of warm wrong. water, yeah. You can't go wrong. Question number six. What's your ultimate racing war story? When have things just gone wrong? Oh, I mean, they always. there's a lot of times they go wrong. I mean, uh, sometimes, and again, just because Molokai has just got such a, such a long heritage is that the, the one time I, I was going really well and... and uh, and I thought I was winning the race by miles. In fact, my escort boat says, no, you're so far ahead, you should break a record, no problem. And I'm going along, paddling, and I'm cruising. And then and they, those days, they sent the outriggers off before. And I said, hey, but who's that? Well, whose boat? That? No, that's an outrigger. You'll catch that. And, and then three kilometers from the end, they realized it was Pip and Dean God. I said, you <laughs> bunch of turkeys. How can you forget that it's Dean's gone? And he, he went a bit north. And, and, and I... And, and, and again, at that stage, I was pretty fast. I could like, track down anybody if I, was, if I thought they were opposition. Couldn't catch him. And then Dean won. I thought, what the hell? How can I let that happen to me? You know? so, and then also losing. Is that the year he got the record too? I don't know if he got the record that year. You know? so, so again, the people also don't realize. I, I showed you that in 1983, my time is nearly, or I'd say even faster than Corey's time last year. In 1983, with flat paddles. And uh, and we went longer, and I'd read it, I read it there three twenty, three twenty two, but we started about one and a half two kilometers further down the down the coast at the start, so that time was that was really fast. So that was I'd say it would have been a three fifteen at the current start and finish. Yeah. Do you know what? And there's no watches back then, so I can't I can't even. I can't even see yeah. if you're lying. <laughs> we weren't born. <laughs> no, no, it was it was. It was uh, Grant will tell you, I beat, I beat Grant Kenny at his peak by 15 minutes. Well, that is uh, very impressive nonetheless. And Oscar, <laughs> I do love the fact as well that we're roasting Corey Hill. Sorry, Chill, you're copying it today. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Oscar, question number seven. Who is the greatest yeah. paddler of all time? Uh, it's a very tough one. I mean, I mean, I, I would just probably uh, I'll say narrow it. to two. I'll say it, Oscar. Uh, uh, um, I'd... I'd I'd say uh, a Hank McGregor and a Clint Robinson are in, in an unbelievable league, and uh, of the young, those are the old guys, and then the youngsters. We, we've been roasting Corey, but he's he's proving to be a fantastic up-and-coming uh, paddler. You know? and, and again, I'm saying up-and-coming, but once you've won ten or eight Molokas, then you then you've got you've really got the yeah. of being top. I was waiting for that. And of course, you can't write. You can't write of. You can't. Yeah, you can't write of Dean. I mean, to win nine Molokai's, you only realise once you've done one or two Molokai's. To, to think of winning mm. nine, 
uh, is, yeah. is pretty tough. And, and again, there's never an easy moniker. There's never an easy, Go and ask anybody who's done a Mecca. You know what it's like. Yep. Sam, you, well. did, you did one, eh? I actually haven't done a Molokai. I've done a couple of Maramus, oh. but haven't done a Molokai. Okay. Yeah, but ask Mecca how hard it is. It's one of the hardest races. It's you just tough. think, oh, no, this mm. is going along. And that last hour kills you, no matter how good you are, no matter no, how fit you are. I'll digress here. I've got a bonus question for you, Oscar. A lot of people, well, everyone yeah. so far, when we've asked them who's the greatest paddler of all time, everyone has thrown around a few names, but everyone said you. How do you feel being quoted as one of the greatest paddlers of all time? I mean, it's, 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 it's very flattering and, and, it, and it's such a difficult thing to, to put your finger on to who's the best paddler. I mean, I've definitely been around longer than most, you know, because, I mean, to think I won 1983 is my first Malacca and, and I won my first P to East London in 1978 or 1980. So I won some international races in 1979. 1979, I was competing for South Africa in America against the Americans, and I won the Serbsky leg there when I was 14 years old, 15 against these internationals and the South Africans who were quite good. So I've been doing it for such a long time. So I've got, uh, uh, I've definitely got experience on my side. But but the big thing I've done is, is kept pushing on, you know, kept on trying to win races. And, and and again, even though it sounds Mickey Mouse, but winning Guadeloupe at 55 years old, racing against Victor Du and, and Nicolas Lambert, who are seriously good paddlers, as you know, they're like top five or six sometimes in, in, in international races with, Corey and Hank, and, and to beat them twice at over 54 mm. years old, that definitely, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the other old guys uh, feature. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oscar, question number eight, and maybe this one might be limited to some of the athletes you've raced against rather than beginners, yeah. but who is the worst trainer that you've come across? Um, the worst trainer in that doesn't train very well and races well, I mean, I'd say, sure. It's a hard one because uh, a lot of bad trainers, <laughs> a lot of people, well, you see, what you see for me, a bad trainer is a guy that kills you in training and then never beats in a race. Yeah, mm. I can say that. You see, so that's to me is the worst. I mean, and, and I can tell you right now, he's one of the best paddlers in the world that just never achieved as much as he should have is uh, Matthew Bowe. You train with him. My God, you, 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 you cannot believe how good he is. And then in the race, he just doesn't perform. So he's the, he's the best trainer, but the worst racer. Oh, or let's say he is... A, they are, they yeah, are your, they are your words, not mine. He's achieved far more, he's achieved far more than I ever will. But what I'm saying, when I, race, when I train against him, I can hardly keep up with him. And then, then I sometimes manage to beat him. You know? So that's, that's the kind of... And there's quite a few of those people, and, and, and I know a lot of him, but I mean, people will know Matthew Bowman. He's a fantastic athlete. Yes. And, and, and I think he could have achieved more with maybe better training or better psychological training or whatever it was, was to take him to get to. Because hmm. then Molokai in 2012, he didn't want to train with me because he thought I was going to influence his, his mind, and, and he ended up coming seventh. And he couldn't believe that this 49-year-old beat him you know so that was a shock you're one of a kind question number nine <laughs> oscar what do you rate as your greatest achievement in surf ski you know that's i get asked that all the time at the end of the day winning my first molokai when i never even knew what the molokai was in 1983 but then having said that winning your 
12th Malacca that nobody achieved, mm. and it's going to take a long time for people to catch up at 49. So it's it's sort of a, maybe it's, it's the combination of the two to be so long for such a long time at the top of any sport in the world. I think that's that's my achievement in surf ski paddling is to be winning at 20 and still winning at 49. Certainly done that well. Yep, that's a fair achievement. And last <laughs> question number 10. Oscar, finish this sentence. I'm a paddler because... I love sport yes you do and we are very very thankful yeah. for it and everything else you've done oscar chalapsky thank you so much for joining us on the paddlers pod thank you very much guys mac and and, and Thanks, keep training and, and keep working on getting faster because i'm going to be out there i'm going to get back at you guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know you will Mac, I actually feel a little bit nostalgic after that conversation i remember when i was about 14 years old one of the guys the older guys who was paddling ocean skis came to came to training one Saturday morning and, and gave me a DVD to go home and watch. And I, at this point, had had very little exposure to downwind racing. It was a DVD of, of the great man, Oscar Chalupski, a bit of a tutorial, a bit of an Doing insight into what downwind paddling is. Mate, it was mind-blowing at the time. And listening to Oscar speak then about paddling and about his memories and experiences that he's had, it makes me feel really lucky not only to know him as a friend like we do, which is which I really yeah. cherish, and not only to have his support in the podcast and have him lend his voice and, you know, do all these kind of crazy things to us without hesitating, but just to have someone like him in the sport who has given so much and continues to give so much because because of Oscar's commitment, this sport has grown to where it is today and will continue to grow. So Mate, that was a really special chat. I really enjoyed that. Wasn't it ever? I think as well, Sam, like you ask anyone in the surf skate community, what's like, you know, what's your Oscar Chalopsky story? Everyone will have one, hands down. And it might be the best paddling story that you have. Mate, he's left an impression on everyone he's met and will continue to do long so lasting. for a very long time to come. So Oscar, keep at it, mate. We are we love you Thank very you. much. Maka, big calls time. We haven't done this for a little while. I guess not only because there hasn't actually been that much to make some big calls on. But there is this time around. Now, I'm going to tee it off in light of the uh, breaking news that we got a little bit earlier about the WA Race Week being cancelled and potentially on the move. Mate, I'm going to say, mm. I think they'll do it. I think the Mad Men will get it across the line. I think they're going to be able to run it in New South Wales. It's going to take a lot of work and it's actually going to take a lot more work than than most people may realize to actually get an event of this scale up in a regional town as well at a time when there is a global pandemic. But it's also at a time when these areas that we'll be going into haven't had any cases. There's going to need to be some kind of convincing involved for these local councils to take on the event. But I think they'll do it. And I think it's going to be fantastic. Matt, I'm really excited about it. Really excited about it. Now, that's a big call. That is no small feat, Sam. I reckon if they can get it across the line, I'll be over the moon and I'm sure every other paddler in the country will be. But mine, mine's a maybe a little more negative. I'm not sure, but I feel like maybe not every paddler in the country will be happy about it because I don't see um, some states being able to travel interstate to be able to race, uh, mainly Victoria with everything going on. I, 
I think they're going to be be locked in for some time to come. I really hope that that's not the case and and they can attend this new format of the race week and into the into the twenty beaches. But look, you're becoming cynical in your and... old age, Macca. Oh, more and more cynical. Have a bit of hope, I mate. I'm not the glass half full guy, am I? <laughs> no, you know what? I think it's a pretty fair prediction, Macca. The fact that Victoria is currently recording five hundred new cases a day. You know what I'm going to say, actually, to that, Macca? Now, this yeah. is my decision on this. You call that big? I'm not happy with that. I don't think that's a big all call right. at all. Throw some other states under the bus. Who are, are there any other states you don't think will be able to attend? I don't reckon... I, don't, oh, I reckon WA will be allowed to come, but I don't think that anyone will come based off um, their re-entry into their state. So you think WA will be able to come, but will have to quarantine on the other side? Yeah, and maybe even this side. Who knows? That is a very big call. That's a sympathy big call from me, Macra. I'm, I'm only I'm only hitting play on that one because I feel bad for you. Now, mate, that is the end of another. <laughs> we made it jam packed podcast. Yeah, that's our longest ever, mate. It feels like we've been here for days. Setting doing records this. here, exactly right. If you haven't heard the great man and you haven't followed his advice, please jump online and and give us a follow, give us a subscribe, and and even leave a review and a rating for us. It'll help us get out our uh, our nonsense to even more paddlers around the world. So any support that you can give us there is uh, very appreciated. No such thing as bad publicity. Exactly right. This bumper episode means we've earned a rest. What do you reckon, mate? We might have to have a bit of a spell before the next one. Yeah, I think people are probably sick of hearing from us. But look, I think we got through some stuff. There was a lot of there was there was a lot in that episode, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope everyone else did. I loved it, mate, as well, and I can't wait for the next one. We'll be back soon, guys. Until then, take care. Paddler's Pod with Sam and Macca.